Hey, you're listening to Guat.Rocks, God, the World, and Other Things. I'm Kenny Price, your host. Our mission, advancing equilibrium in the midst of an agitated world. This is Season 15, Episode 313, titled, Other Things with Mark Heimerman. I'm excited about today's podcast. This is the audio portion of our YouTube channel show called Other Things With. It is the fourth video podcast we've done. So far, the total of five video programs are spread between three people involved in the publishing industry and two in the music business. It's not been a planned thing or something I've done intentionally, but the way this thing is flowing does probably reveal something about my personal interests. The YouTube series is intended to encourage and inspire, and it's a sister to the work we do here through Guat.Rocks. The following guest I'm getting ready to introduce you to had it all as a Grammy award-winning producer and songwriter in the music mecca of Nashville, Tennessee. He started from scratch in the music industry of Nashville, Tennessee when he took a job working on advertising jingles on Famous Music Row. He did it to pay for his tuition and support at Lipscomb University. Things began to happen for Mark very rapidly to say the least. He has a compelling story of following God in faith and doing what God tells him to do His transparency in the conversation is compelling to encourage and inspire each of us to walk on in faithfulness to God, come what may. And so here we go, other things with Mark Heimerman. Thank you so much for tuning in to Other Things with Dot Dot Dot. I am so excited today to have special guest Mark Heimerman here in the studio, so to speak. And so this episode is Other Things with Mark Heimerman. How are you doing, Mark? Uh, Today, I'm doing great. That's good news. I appreciate that. But I tell you, I'm thrilled. Mark is uh, there in his home studio in Minnesota. And we're going to talk a little bit about how you went, ended up back in Minnesota. But I want to give just an intro for those of you who don't know his name. You know his work, uh, without a doubt. But uh, Mark Heimerman is an American musician. And I think that's cool. I got this off of discogs.com, but I think it's cool, especially getting a chance to talk to you prior to the show and looking at all your, your body of work that the the first thing that they lead with is that you are an American musician. And I think that says it all uh, beyond everything, but songwriter, producer, and engineer got a start in the Christian music industry as a session singer and keyboardist went on to become a top producer and songwriter on the Nashville scene. That's how they write that. Um, with his own publishing company, studio, and independent record label, now based in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And you may think of him best as the producer co-writer on albums two through five on the for the group DC Talk. Is that correct? Am I right on that? Oh, yeah, okay. I did all their records, yep. Yep, all the ones that they did in the studio. Correct. And those were New Thang and uh-huh. uh, Free at Last and Jesus Freak and Supernatural, which are award-winning. It's interesting in the 2001 book, CCM presents the 100 greatest albums in Christian music um, that um, let's see, is it uh, supernatural? Oh, free at last was listed at number nine and received best rock gospel album of 1994. And Mark was the co-writer with Toby Mack and George. How do you say his name? Cochina? Cochini. Cochini. Okay. Cochini. Yeah. And we're going to talk about, how you know him and how his name shows up a lot in your credit. So we're going to talk about that later, but of the Dove award-winning song, love is a verb. Uh, don't care what you say. Don't care what you heard. Love is a verb, right? 
Uh, he went on to receive Grammy Awards for Best Rock Album 1997 for DC Talk Jesus Freak. Also writing the title song with Toby Mac. He also received a Grammy for the 2002 DC Talk Album Solo. And just a couple more things. Free at Last is looked at as a turning point in the history of Christian music and has been named one of the greatest albums of the genre. Jesus Freak is widely considered to be one of the greatest and most influential albums in the history of contemporary Christian music. And I would say it's the most influential and the biggest album of all time in Christian music, which is saying a lot. And plus, it was when I think we still had albums or at least CDs. And uh, Mark's also the four, father of four. He's an empty nester. But anyway, Mark Hammerman, how are, that's, how are you doing again? Wow. Yeah. It's, uh, it seems so long ago, <laughs> uh, all those, uh, awards and, um, doing that, uh, that fun DC talk stuff and Michael W. Smith, that era, that 10 to whatever, 15 years was quite a deal for me and for, uh, the industry. Absolutely. And I can remember in all the CDs I would buy Mark Hammerman, Mark Hammerman, producer, writer, vocalist and we're going to talk a little bit here and about your new music and you have an amazing voice and of course you would have to have singing back up for all these people the way that you did but uh just astounding but let's go go back to the beginning for just a minute and talk about your background your bio uh so if you could just kind of give us a fifty thousand foot flyover of, of your life because it's really interesting the way everything just clicks together yeah, well, 50,000 from an almost 60-year-old. <laughs> so uh, I've been doing this uh, professionally, the music thing, for 40 years this year, if you can believe that. Started very young. Uh, grew up in upstate New York, where George Caccini's from, so we're upstate New Yorkers. Um, that's funny. But uh, grew up there, finished high school in, uh, uh, grew up classically trained, uh, started with trumpet and piano at five. Uh, then violin and viola. Did uh, grew up in a singing family. Um, lots of choral. Uh, grew up in uh, Church of Christ, which was all a cappella singing. Uh, strangely, that somehow that turned into me being a Christian music guy. So um, love it. Appreciate all that. And a big part of my life is the singing part and the choral arranging. Finished high school in Philly. And then moved to Nashville in 82. And uh, I had some family down there. And I also went to David Lipscomb there in Nashville for oh, Lipscomb, a, okay. a year and, and was uh, had a scholarship playing with the uh, the band that, you know, got people to come to school <laughs> at Lipscomb. So um, did that for a year. Uh, did a little bar band with my brother doing original music uh one of our singers was uh, marty rowe uh, who's the lead singer for diamond rio we went to school together and ha had a band together and uh, we're still good buds don't see them enough um and then through that uh my sister uh married a guy named chris harris and chris became uh a partner in crime in all things music in Nashville. So he introduced me to the jingle business at uh, Hummingbird, uh, owned by Bob Farnsworth on Music Row there. I think they've demolished that old building. But um, that's where I cut my teeth on learning how to write, uh, produce, how to work with musicians in the studio. And gosh, I was 20 years old, so super young. 
and uh, didn't know what I was doing. Uh, I was writing songs, um, just kind of floating with what you do at 20 and uh, ended up not going back to college. I uh, um, just worked at a law firm downtown Nashville as a runner and an entertainment law firm. So I was just around the music thing and it, through the band um, that my brother and I had, uh, we played at a place called the cannery one night and um, a gentleman named Mike Blanton, who uh, was half mm -hmm. of Blanton and Harrell and reunion records and, you know, managed Michael and Amy and uh, came to see us and uh, I guess saw something in me bouncing around on my little keyboard and my probably 80s mullet. Uh, it couldn't have been a good scene, but must have been enough. So the next thing I know, I was uh, asked to uh, audition for uh, a guy named Michael W. Smith. Uh, again, I didn't grow up with Christian music, um, didn't know Michael W. Smith, didn't know his music. I had heard of Amy Grant, my sister Jan actually sang backgrounds for her early on with the Eddie DeGarmo, uh, DeGarmo and Key days, right? Mm. Um, super fun, but that wasn't the kind of music that I was listening to. I was pretty much a rock and roller, uh, mainstream guy. And so, uh, auditioned for Michael and got the gig and my life forever changed after that. Uh, I was, uh, introduced and to, into the deep end of contemporary Christian music. And I remember being on stage that first night and there were, you know, a few thousand people. And I'm like, how, how do these people know this guy? Right. <laughs> and I'm still, you know, first shows, you're still learning the songs. And I'm like, man, everybody knows every word to all these songs. And, every, you know, it was an experience for me. It was life-changing. I'm like, uh, it really did well for my soul and uh, to experience that kind of uh, praising and worshiping and, uh, but under lights and stage and um, professional music as professional as we could possibly be. We had killer sound system. We had the Claire brothers sound. We had the big buses, you know, we toured at mm -hmm. the top, mm -hmm. top of the, uh, of the game. And um, that's how I started in Christian music, which is crazy, um, which all leads to the story later. But um, I toured with Michael on the friends tour and uh, the big picture tour, the second one. And then I was uh, asked to go out with Amy Grant. So I went out with Amy on the unguarded tour for uh, a big chunk of that tour. And uh, in the process of those being on the road pretty much all the time, I, uh, when I was in town, I was singing a lot of background sessions. So, um, during the eighties and nineties, you'll see my name on virtually probably 75% of all Christian artists coming out of Nashville. Um, it's crazy when I look back at, um, what I was fortunate and fortunate enough and blessed to be a part of, uh, that era. It was, a increasingly, um, successful in the eyes of the world for sure. And, but I also think that it was, uh, affecting a lot of lives, uh, in and outside of the church, which was very exciting to me. You want well, a question? Yeah. Let me, let me ask you right there. Cause I want to keep going with that, but just some things pop into my mind that, uh, first of all, so your first 
thing in Christian music is playing keyboards, uh, right? Keyboards for Michael. Keyboards w. and singing, yeah, for Michael. And single for well, and so you know, Michael is like the quintessential keyboard player. So how was that? And was there pressure there, or how did you feel, or did you? I guess you probably at that time didn't know his reputation it, on keys. Well, certainly intimidating, and I learned things right away. You know, I was still young, you know, classically trained, but this was all, and I played a lot of, you know, cover stuff. So I knew how to, by ear, I could read music or I could learn, I learned mostly by ear too. Um, so, I mean, I knew how to play, but um, his music was a little different from what I was uh, accustomed to. And, uh, and yeah, clearly highly, um, highly intense on the keyboard side of things. So I had to get my act straight pretty quick, but you know what? Michael's so gracious and we had so much fun. I don't think uh, you could ever experience more fun with somebody around a tour. So those were the, the best of times for sure. That's awesome. Now you also mentioned your brother and your sister. So were they both already here in Nashville or? I did have a brother. My oldest brother lived here or in Nashville. And then uh, I had a sister and then eventually my other brother and my other sister and spouses, all that. My mom and dad ended up there in Nashville. So yeah, the whole family uh, ended up there, all seven of us. And then all the uh, extra uh, extensions of family. Yeah. That's awesome. So now your brother and you were in a band together. So what, what part did your brother play? He could play, you know, he went to a boy choir school as a kid. So he had an exceptional voice and his understand genius theory guy. Uh, he is a, um, a composer there in Nashville. He composes for vocals, but he also composes um, for, for, orchestra um ensemble you know whatever he can do any all of that stuff uh and you can hear his work uh with the symphony he sings with the symphony and um they'll do some of his pieces occasionally but anyway he uh he lived there with his wife and uh my sister with uh, her husband chris harris who was you know again we were the thick as thieves guys for mm -hmm. for uh, all that th those first 10, 15, 20 years. Well, so, okay. Picking back up. So you, you hit quick once you got here really, and just a year into your college tenure and uh, hit the road professionally. So let's pick back up there because then uh, what's fascinating to me is that um, with, with Chris, I mean, you're talking 1986 to 1998 between those years. I mean, you became a one-stop shop, in Nashville for everything Christian music. So if you yeah. could just for a moment, kind of give me a, an overview of that. Yeah. So, uh, what changed for me was needing to get off the road. I did probably four tours with Michael, one tour with Amy, but in that time I had gotten married, um, to my wife that we've been married 37 years now. So we, that worked out really well <laughs> and, uh, started having kids. So we had, I think two, and you're just feeling that pressure. You know, I'm a home guy anyway. I'm a family guy, and and um, you know, the road does wear you down year after year. And same cities, all it, it all starts 
getting numb and you <laughs> sure sure don't want to be missing your kids growing up and uh you're you're building your relationship with your wife um she actually came out with me on uh, uh the big picture tour michael was gracious enough to allow her to come out we were newlyweds so um yeah so i needed to get off the road and it was a huge brisk on paper i guess because there uh, I, I turned down uh the second uh amy grant tour it was a ton of money and um you know that was just high cotton years for touring and christian music was just exploding and um but i was just like you know what there's no money that's worth losing time with my and you know working with my family working on my family and so uh i took the risk uh, which turned out not to be a risk at all because uh my brother-in-law and i started producing and our first thing was something that he came up with a concept record called uh, prism and what that idea was was we would take the primary colors and uh, do 80s synth arrangements of um, very popular arrangements of children's music because we wanted we just loved family music we didn't want to be a band we didn't want to tour but we wanted to produce this concept record which reunion records signed so our first record we had a budget of i think eighteen thousand dollars and we did it all in three weeks uh recorded and mixed and uh that's, that's just insane <laughs> um and uh we had a great time doing it and uh so prism blue was the little kid songs this little light of mine jesus loves me and that kind of I wouldn't say exploded but it really did well on uh christian radio to the point where these cities were calling going, Hey, can you guys come and sing? And, uh, our first show, we didn't want a tour, but our first show we had Lisa Bevel and Gary Janney, Chris Rodriguez would come out, uh, Donna McElroy, some of the greatest singers in Nashville's history. Uh, we'd go out and sing to tracks. I mean, it was just silly. And we go to Houston and they're like 2000 people show up. Like, how do they even know who we are? And uh, we sold out of all of our merch, and we're like, oh man, is this how they do it? <laughs> anyway, um, we did avoid turning that into a touring artist thing. We didn't want to be an artist, we wanted to be kind of behind the scenes doing uh, uh, production and staying home. So we were able to accomplish that, but that prism stuff turned into um. We ended up, Chris and I produced uh, Lisa Bevel's first record with Brown Bannister's new label uh, at the time. And um, we did a guy named Morgan Cryer. Morgan, man. Morgan Cryer. Absolutely. Yeah. And so uh, I guess we were getting some attention. And the next thing we knew, um, we were invited to meet a little blonde-headed, curly-haired kid named Toby. Toby Mack from Liberty. And they have this little hip-hop uh band group and um i was like what's what's hip-hop <laughs> what's what's rap you know i didn't know anything about you know other than what would have been on the radio but um it was uh, uh that was the beginning of a, a whirlwind career so from there um i ended up producing all of those records with toby and uh, one with Chris and I and Toby. And um, then that got me the jobs with Michael W. Uh, I did two records for him. Um, and then they threw me in with 
anybody and everybody that was uh, coming onto the scene, like Jackie Velasquez and uh, Anointed, and just had unbelievable success. Everything was uh, gold or platinum. I was just nuts. And I wasn't even, you know, it wasn't like I'm like waking up going, I'm going to get awards and a lot of money. I, I just, I loved it. It wasn't work. <laughs> it was something evidently um, God's favor, whatever you want to call it. Um, I didn't see myself with that kind of success, but there I was. Well, with all the success you were having and then moving towards ultimately having your own record company label artist promotion and all that. Uh, how did that set with the other people in Nashville who would actually end up becoming your competitors? Were, was that well-received or did you receive any kind of uh, kickback on that or, or negative? No, you know what I'm saying? Not negative feedback. Yeah. But. No, that's where my story and life changed forever. Um, it's just important to know why and what was happening after. So 1998, I had finished the DC Talk Supernatural record. Had all money coming in like crazy because I was not only producing, but I was um, uh, writing. And I had my own publishing company. And uh, everything we were doing was just truckloads of money. And, um, and as you know, awards, uh, you know, Song of the Year for Jesus Freak, which made no sense to me because they'd always picked the safest songs but something changed uh with jesus freak i think um and uh then when we finished supernatural it was summer of 98 in july i had my new home my wife and three boys i had a daughter coming the next year but um i was out on my porch looking over franklin i had the most beautiful view and I had a glass of red wine in my right hand, a cigar in my left hand. And I said a little prayer, like kind of just a believing. I'd always been a believer and I gave my life to the Lord at eight. And, um, but this was different. Something happened in this moment. So the uh, spirit of the Lord uh, met me there on the porch. I hope he was okay with the uh, wine and the cigar. I think he was okay. But, uh, he called me uh, in that moment, and it wasn't a physical um, appearance, but it was definitely the Spirit of the Lord uh, asking me to follow him. And I knew what that meant was to follow him off of this mountain of success that I didn't even build. It was just like given to me. But as a, my human side, you know, I'm gulping and... I'd say, tell people that the ashes on my cigar just kind of fell to the ground. And it was just one of those moments like, uh-oh. And yet, um, I'm sure he was giving me a choice, but I didn't feel like there was a choice. I just feel like, well, of course, I'm going to do follow you. What does that even mean in that moment? Well, some other incredible things happened in that moment. And I ran in uh, when it was over. It was only minutes long. I ran into my wife who was asleep and I woke her up and I must have been white as a sheet. And I said, you will not believe what just happened to me. I said, I got a visit from the Lord and I think everything's about to change for me, maybe for us. And bless her heart, she's the best sport in the world. And I know that God knew that about her and, um, and, uh, so, because that's what it took to take this next uh, journey that we've been on for 25 years now. Um, so, 
when you talk about my lay the label what that what happened was um i poured myself into the word of god i had never read the scriptures from beginning to end as a new testament christian i pretty much stayed in the the good news and didn't understand the bad news and why the good news and the whole story and the character of the father anyway i studied it with a heart of uh just learning and i think the first time through um the message was uh about idolatry and that was my idolatry but also the idolatry of um the church and christian music and the world and and uh all the different ways that idolatry uh, finds its way into our lives and our hearts and at the same time i was learning how uh about music from a biblical perspective which totally blew my mind it was just like wait whoa it's everywhere there's music everywhere and um i made was very intentional in studying what music and the purposes for music from god's perspective i knew what they were from my perspective from in the industry's perspective and um i was watching um things kind of with because the, there was so much money um kenny that uh it's an easy thing to start chasing and following and idolizing um i think it's natural to be honest with you <laughs> but uh here i am seeking god's heart trying to take the scripture of seeking the kingdom first and his righteousness and so i'm cleaning my life out and i'm going because it was such an intense moment for me that didn't make any sense but i was going to all anybody i could all the leaders of christian music industry going guys this happened to me i don't know what i'm doing i'm just following i tell i tell told people i follow i'm following a cloud because i know the lord's in it but i can't tell you what i'm gonna do in the next minute you know and it was so frustrating because i put a, a big men's group together of a lot of the leaders including um your now governor bill lee was a part of our group um and just uh minds you know the the leaders of you know anything from record label presidents to booking agents to you know people that were the movers and shakers mm -hmm. and uh, we put that group together it's called cliff divers and we met every month i think and um i got uh, uh pastor don finto my spiritual papa to join and to help um guide this spiritually because i'm like here's i'm a everybody's looking at me going what are you doing why are you challenging why are you questioning that everything's good it's 98 you know what i mean there's not a thing wrong in the world well i started feeling like there were some things wrong in god's eyes and so i knew i had to start with me but he, i felt like he was also calling me to speak to um our industry so starting the gravity record label was all about ministry it was all about if you will um investing in a college education in uh seeking the lord on um you know just letting him teach me and those of us who are part of it what what does it look like how do you run a label how do you sell music how do you that are that with the name christ attached to it christian if it, if it was country or pop music a lot of these questions weren't as relevant you know but it's like we're attaching the name of christ to this how um what does that look like so i had a lot of money i put all my own i didn't ask for money from anybody i just 
gathered a team of people um and uh had a board and just paid everybody <laughs> just go guys let's ask questions we had devotionals a couple of times a week we were constantly it was very intense spiritually um I, I feel bad about how intense it was but that's what i was being called to so um that label was really not about making money uh, it was about developing people it was about just asking questions and seeking the lord on how to do uh, music uh, christian music in a capitalistic you know in america or in the world in in that economy and um still wrestling with a lot of it some of it i've kind of uh, there are some hills i i will die on and then there's some hills i won't die on because uh, i don't i'm not sure you know i'm very unsure about a lot of it but since 98 i think i started the label in what what do you think i was right after that my wife said honey you gotta do a label and and uh get all this stuff you know out on the table and uh you know it just got to a point where it was uh, i had so much new music in me that was different from where the rest of the industry was going and I didn't know why, but I couldn't help it. I was just learning so much, and I ended up writing a worship opera. I don't know if you know about that, but it's called Vapor, a worship opera. I think you can still find it. Um, and it was me. Uh, it's it's teaching, but it's also uh, just me and my just sharing my heart about what I was learning about worship and the purposes of music as they relate to um the image of God and our image in the sense of the temple. So it's, it takes people through the stages of the temple. I performed it once. It's uh, in Memphis. It is a women's choir. It is an orchestra and a rock band. So that's what um, Vapor, uh, a worship opera is, and check it out. Um, but that's all me, 100%. I paid for it. I sang it. I wrote it all. Um, I play, you know, and uh, then I got uh david davidson to do beautiful string arrangements i've got the best guys in the music scene there christian music scene to be a part of the band um and then that turned into all right lord how do i give you this record how do i not own it so then the whole ownership thing became a deal the whole idea of commoditizing worship became a a deal for me and i was just wrestling with lord if this is truly worship there's no i shouldn't get anything out of it this is about giving it to you or to your church or whatever and then i'm heading down this path that's absolutely counter to what i already know i know how to write a number one song for christian music i, I evidently know how to produce big selling records and yet now i'm having to like insert the kingdom of God into that. And it's like, it just really messes with your mind and your heart. And, um, but it changed everything for me. Um, the sad part is, um, uh, some of it, I, I had to walk away from, and some of it was kind of like, I think people, uh, I think there's some people that were like, you know, the guy's office rocker, but here's the deal. Speaking of rocker, um, the Lord did give me the concept of Jesus freak. I know that for a fact, um, cause it was in my, you know, that quasi sleep limbo place. And I know when, and you know, when the Lord's really 
downloaded something for you. Whether it turns into anything, I don't know. But that turned into something. But it was also very prophetic for me because the Lord called me to be a Jesus freak. And um, that's what I'm Sort of like Larry Norman, you know. Yeah. uh, You know, kind of like a modern Larry Norman. Larry Norman was counterculture to the rock scene in one of the first. Uh, And then you come along with Jesus freak. And I tell you the part about that I had to match the rhythm of my belly with his head. Yeah, that's all Toby. Yeah. (laughs) But then the in tattoo green, you know, my uncle Billy Joe was in the Navy way back when that's the only color tattooing there was, was a tattoo green. So very vivid. uh, But uh, wow, what a what a powerhouse anthem. So, uh, yeah. yeah, And looking back, um, understanding the difference, you know, I, I got a specific call. Not everybody gets that. Um, so I, I don't know what to do with that. I just, um, I don't like comparing myself. I don't like the, any better than thing. That's not the kingdom. Um, but that, but I did get a visit and, um, a specific calling. And so in one sense, um, I had to learn the difference between believing in Jesus and following him. And now looking back, I'm like, that's a huge deal. Cause there are a lot of us that are believers, but who's, I mean, are we following? Like, are we literally, when it says seek that kingdom first, is that really the front of our minds and hearts when we wake up and it's scary. It's, um, it's risky on paper. Uh, I call it perceived risk because with God, there is no risk, you know, it's, uh, and that's the way it's been for me. I feel like, I know people have told me like, dude, I don't know how you did that. Like move to Minnesota or whatever, uh, walk away from the a massive career and um, being the number one guy in town in, in a certain genre or whatever. And, uh, but you, when you're following Jesus, um, truly following him, or as for me, uh, I was called away from that. I'm not saying people are to be called away from whatever. Um, that's between you and the Lord. But for me, I had to get uh, to understand the difference between just believing in him and uh, waking up and following him. And so, I've, done, I've done good and bad with that. <laughs> well, I think clearly to to even be able to come to a point to do that, uh, especially you know when you were at the the apex of that phase of your life, I think without question would have to be leadership of the Lord, because like you said, um, it's, it's, it's in us. I mean, if we don't want to have, you know, financial success, then we're in trouble. And, uh, all the people who want to find fault with people in the Christian industry who become millionaires that, you know, they forget that, well, if someone's not making money, then no one's working. Right. You know, and then when you quoted that you you had a budget of eighteen thousand dollars to do that children's in today's dollars, that's a lot of money. You know, because my son, who's he, he's in the industry here now, and uh, some of the top albums, which I won't mention, but there may be a budget for forty in American dollars here. So right. if you're talking thirty plus years ago, that they said here's eighteen thousand, go make a children's music. Uh, that's yeah. awesome. I mean that that's confidence. And uh, that's a blessing that you can't even ask for. You know, that's that's a God-given thing. 
It's definitely relative. Nowadays, it's so hard, you know, you're, but you're talking about days when our budgets were in the hundreds of thousands, you know? Yeah. That does not exist. It doesn't exist. That's all gone. Yeah. Well, let me ask you, you you said also, but some things that you've learned through this journey uh, to date is some things that you feel like that they're, you know, are hills worth dying for is it, it, and I don't want to get too bogged down in that, but is there anything that just pops into your mind where you say, this is something that God has uh, shown me, you know, through the journey that I've been on. That these are kind of non-negotiables, and I don't mean that in a pragmatic, dogmatic way. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? No. Oh yeah, no. Um, understanding um, the importance of knowing the difference between praise and worship; those are different stances and different uh, places of our hearts towards God. Um, and th- I think there's some great ways to teach that to the church, I think a lot of it has been uh, not just watered down, but kind of muddied um, together. And um, the idea of uh, worshiping uh, is, has so little to do with music in scripture. Now music can usher in worship, but worship is a, I think we're losing what the true meaning of worship is. And then you, you, on top of that with the music thing and praise and worship becoming such a huge deal. Um, again, it's not, I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, but I, um, don't feel good about commoditizing what I would say is worship. Now let's call it something else maybe. Um, but, um, but the actual worship, if you really seek the Lord's heart and the Lord did speak to me, not, uh, it wasn't a visit, but you know how he speaks to us in a small voice and I'm walking and out of nowhere, I hear I'm being praised to death. Somebody worship me. And it brings you to your knees, which is where worship happens. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's all tied into idolatry, which is what all of scripture, the whole problem um, and learning that uh, we have, there are three realms of idolatry, and one of them is um, what the world teaches us. Another one is what we, called household gods, what we get from our families and our generations, our people. And then there's the self-made gods, which is um, what we actually come up with in our own sinful lives. And so, you really, every person that is of age has those three uh, realms of idolatry that they have to contend with. And a lot of us don't even talk about that. The church, you know, I didn't grow up hearing sermons about idolatry, but you read all of scripture and it's all about our hearts wandering. It's all about committing spiritual adultery with our father, you know, our father. And it's about, you know, go back to the 10 commandments. Um, It's the the first two are the, that's the priority, right? Um, So just embracing that. That's definitely a hill I would die die on, um, and I'm continuing to die. I still, doggone it, I still <laughs> have idols in my life that I just can't believe um, are still lingering. I've died to some that I've never been, never had to deal with again. But it's almost like that thorn, those thorns in your flesh. It's not just one. I've got more than one thorn. But um, other things I would die on. Um, well, you know, some of that's more, yeah, personal stuff. I wouldn't necessarily project that on other people, but um, uh, that's a big thing is understanding the purpose, divine purpose of music, which is to usher in the Lord. 
But what does that look like? That's music that goes before battle, goes into battle. That's music that brings ushers in healing. That's music that ushers in a heart of praise. It's music that ushers in prophecy. Um, you know, the list goes on and on. And you see in scripture that music, and there's a priesthood to that um, divine purpose of music. And uh, that's something I've had to learn my role as a priest in God's kingdom to declare his praises which is not just an old Testament thing. That's a new Testament thing too. So mm -hmm. I'm just learning that. I'm just learning how to uh, live, act, work as a, a, with a priestly duty in mind. Yeah. I think that's, that's fantastic. And I tell you, I'm right there with you on it in my study in the book, you know, Hebrew, I have a background in Hebrew languages, but uh, mm. something we learned early on is that uh, our, my professor, Dr. George Klein, he said, uh, gentlemen, if you will notice in the Old Testament that whenever a prophet got up to speak or a king got up to speak and to say something significant that in the English language, you know, it's indented. And he said the reason why that is so is because they always sang the proclamations. And so mm -hmm. that goes along with what you're talking about. But that so the highest form of communication in the Old Testament was singing the proclamation, not just speaking it. And so yep. I think it's pretty cool. but. I would playing, agree playing the horn, you know, the horn will blast for the, to bring the Lord back. I mean, it's just, or, you know, um, bring down the walls of Jericho, you know, the, the musicians went first, the musicians went before the ark and, uh, we have a role in the procession. It's not the whole thing. And there are other people that have responsibilities too in the kingdom, but as far as music in the kingdom goes, that's, um, that's something that I take very seriously. Your your uh, part in the Christian realm has been uh, heavily in the promotion of solo artists to have a message to speak, to have a story to tell. And to me, that speaks as well, or if not better, than modern praise and worship. And again, we, we want to make clear we're not bashing praise and worship. Uh, it's been blessed by God, and I love it. But at the same time, historically, the songs that speak greatest to me are the songs that come from a solo voice. You know, it's a it's a, it's a message, uh, and it's not necessarily something that can be, you know, sung in church chorally. And, uh, and for a long time, there was a movement away from that. And I even know one worship leader who is outstanding, but who probably to this day won't sing a solo in the worship service because he feels it's not uh, worshipful, that it's idolatrous, I guess you could say in a nutshell. That it's I like that. And I, and I understand, but so... In context of that, especially with your capability to do orchestral, to do the whole ball of wax, um, and we talked a little bit, I think, prior, but do you see actually coming back around, I think, of Tommy Prophet, who's kind of the king of that right now. Uh, he just did a, a Christmas thing uh, with the Church of the City, and uh, it was, I guess it was live on YouTube. But uh, you know, Tommy is kind of like... Uh, uh, what's his name from Oingo Boingo? Danny Elfman. He's oh, kind yeah. of a Christian Danny Elfman. And uh, Danny Elfman is just shocking to me that, you know, the lead singer and mind behind Oingo Boingo becomes this great musical composer for cinema. But uh, do you see in this next chapter of your life something like that happening in the, in the realm of uh, the, you know, the big picture? Oh. You know, let's say Jesus freak, but it's cinematic. Happening. It's oh, happening. It ha it's happening. Okay. It's happening right now. Um, I'm in the middle of it. I'm just immersed in it right now, um, which has been 
incredible. But um, out of the Gravity record label, I was commissioned by ASCAP and the GMA to write the anthem for two uh, for uh, 9/11 on behalf of the Christian music industry. So I wrote mm-hmm. a song called "In God We Trust." I had my friend Wayne Kirkpatrick finish it with me, and then we got all the best of the best—80, 90 artists, um, string player, Nashville string players. We had Michael Amartian on piano. Oh, we man. had Dan Huff on guitar. We had uh, Tommy Sims on bass and, uh, you know, Dan Needham on drums. I mean, we had the best of the best and everybody donated to getting that song out. Now, that song wasn't allowed to make money for anybody. And uh, we had all the biggest stars in Christian music singing on it. And um, uh, we produced it at Ocean Way, for you know, which was all donated. Everything was donated. And so I started a... Um, Gravity started a foundation, a 501c3. So in one respect, that was a big part of resolving some of my issues with owning and commoditizing certain songs. Again, I'm talking about worse. I'm not talking about mainstream or mainstream Christian music even. Um, this is uh, These are things put on the altar as gifts to God and to the church uh, or the kingdom, whatever you want to call it. But um, so that nonprofit um, owns In God We Trust. It owns my Vapor Worship Opera. See, I don't own my, I I, I want it to give it, you know, so I, I have to put that on the altar. So it doesn't make money and, and it doesn't, um, you know, people don't really know. I mean, I don't know how to market something that you, you don't want anything thing in return for but it gets out people have heard it it's life-changing for some people and then i also wrote an anthem for um boston the boston bombing so boston strong took uh an anthem that i wrote called no more hurting people and that belongs to, i don't want to make money off of that you know i could take advantage of these tragedies and um woohoo let's uh let's make some bank off of pain you know people's pain but no this is about healing and a gift so it is in the foundation so fast forward it just sat there kenny for what is it now 20 20 years it's just been sitting there and it's been so frustrating i'm like lord i feel like this is a way i can take or people can take their hands off of uh controlling and owning um art and music and you know, please bless it. But it just sat there. Now, a couple of years ago, I got uh, hooked up with, um, we hooked up Minds and Hearts, uh, Amy Grant and I, we now share uh, as board members on the Gravity Foundation because it's going to help her with the ministry opportunities that she's doing and wanting to do. And then, so all of a sudden there's this heartbeat and um, I'm up here in Minnesota and um, uh I'm working on a new project that's probably a a second thing of vapor, but it's more um, about end times. It's it's uh, it's it's pretty serious. It's heavy. It's not um, not your normal. It's not your mom and dad's Christian music. <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I, that's where I'm at right now. God has me sequestered. Um, uh, all everything that I was working on, all the projects, the artists I was working on. I have five songs on the new Owl City record that I got to help with. Oh, um, man. 
And uh, so my op the opportunities have been amazing. And um, and uh, that's coming out this year. So it's not like I haven't been doing anything. Um, I'm having a blast. But all of a sudden, all that stuff went totally silent, like everything. Like I've never had this kind of silence. And I just, it scared me because I'm 59. And um, I'm like, oh, okay. Um, really? Is that how, it, is that? What do I got to do, Lord? And um, so he has uh, gently um, brought me into his arms and said, I have some things I want to share with and through you. So I'm actually writing with him in the room with me in the sense of I just talk to him and uh, ask him, hey, do you like that, Lord? And the cool thing about this is it's 100% me and my DNA. So I go up to the piano upstairs and I write the music and it comes in 30 minutes. And though, and then um, I find uh, I've been singing a lot of scripture. And so I'm phrasing the scripture into music and um, it can go anywhere. I mean, it's going to be crazy, but um, uh, I go from there and I come down here and then I create these tracks that are huge, but I do it all with my voice or pianos so that I limit myself. I, I, I'm, nobody else is involved in it. If I want drums, I create it on the microphone, you know, uh, snares. I'll use five tracks of me going, you know, all those different frequencies add to make a, a snare sound. And then I electronically geek it out. And uh, I do that with all the drums and percussion. I do it with guitars. Um, I sing through amplifiers. Uh, so do you, did, do you, you remember a group called, I think, Primetime? They were Church of Christ background. They did everything. What, what's the name of it? They had, um, acapella they, was a group. But. Well, this was not acapella, but they had a, the group had a song called Primetime. It, mm. was, it was huge. But uh, um, anyway, I just remembered them. But they did everything, like you're saying, with uh, voices only, no instruments. And it was amazing. Yeah. Now I do the pianos. I do the piano. So I have the electric. I don't know if you can see it. Yeah. You can see a little bit in the camera here. Uh, I don't know what side of the room it is for you, but there's a little keyboard. That's a elect a fender, uh, electric piano bass. So you can okay. use that. Um, I use that for bass, uh, plugins versions of that or Wurlitzers, but I can use electric pianos. Again, these are my rules, electric pianos, acoustic pianos, um, and then I can start going nuts with the effects. So I can, you, there are things like strings and horns that I'm doing with my voice that you're not going to be able to tell that it's not my voice, you know, or that it is my voice. Cause it sounds, uh, once you tuck it into the track and EQ it crazy. Um, anyway, I'm doing that with this whole project that I'm hoping to release in July. Oh, which in would, July. Awesome. Which would be, which would be 25 years of, of the, the journey. <laughs> Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, July of 2023. Yeah, because July of 98 is when I got the uh, visit. Oh, that's awesome. So the 20, 25th anniversary. I guess. I don't know. That's that's where I feel like God's leading this all. Um, so I'm about five or six songs into it. I don't know where it's going to end, but um, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm anxious. And, but also feel uh, like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, even though I feel like, Lord, you know, I need to be doing all this other stuff, you know, and Sorry. like, what's more, but I lay down, I lay down at night, like, what's more important than the Lord saying, pay attention, 
to his people, like, don't get so distracted, you know, come find me, you know, because, um, you know, I'm looking at, uh, you know, there's a year of the Lord's favor, but there's also a day of his wrath, you know, mm -hmm. and I'm like on, um, th those days do come and they come cyclically and in history and, and, and everything's in cycle. And, um, so, you know, you can just feel it, you know, any, I think most of us believers and non-believers, you can feel something's there's a burden we're burdened and we might not know why we're burdened, but it's because it's a, you know, it's a, a global problem now it's not just a people or a nation it's we're all in this together and it's all kind of spiraling out of control isn't it <laughs> yeah you know in my ministry past in texas in the dallas fourth area a town called eulis i was visiting yeah. this uh it, it used to be a hotel uh then it turned into kind of a day or lifetime apartment community right across from this little park where we did ministry and i was walking so it had exterior hallways you know rather than you know what i mean it looked like an old strip hotel and so this guy answers the door and i said hey do you have any kids we're having a special event for kids at the park and yeah and i get custody of her every other weekend and i said well we're you know just coming to the park to give people hope and uh, a lot of things happening right now and he said and it's interesting because he didn't profess to know christ but he said there's something wrong and I said, do you sense that? And he looked at me. I'll never forget. He goes, sir. He said, everybody senses it. Yeah. And so here's this guy barely making it economically in a lot of hardship and saying, no, it's, it's, you know, palatable. You can taste it. And so clearly this is that time. I keep praying for a reprieve from the Lord. Um, yeah. He's consistent in his words. So we know that if we don't see change, that we know what's coming. And, yeah. uh, you know, as children, if you belong to Christ, you don't have anything to fear. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy. No, no. Yeah, exactly. And I think that uh, a lot of uh, um, teaching today is is kind of that happy, you know, it's all good, you know, and it's like, no, um, it's not. But there, uh, there's hard stuff coming. And we know we get a little picture of what that's going to look like, a little taste of what uh what's going to happen. And you just feel like you're in it. And again, we also know that God's so patient that it's probably going to be a lot longer than I would think or expect for it all to come down. But um, there's an element of celebration uh, when it all comes to an end. And um, that's what I'm learning because I'm a lamenter. I kind of think of things kind of from a dark brooding, you know, sad morning, you know, I mean, there's blessing, right? blessing and for those who mourn blessing for the poor in spirit and that's where i try to live my, my i want my heart to live in those places and um and just dying to self you know all those things taking those seriously um and knowing that there's supernatural joy and peace that can come with that and blessing um and so as the end whatever the end is coming i'm i'm imagining what the music is for all that so the messages that i have are from revelation 18 19 21 and i'm creating music uh, well actually i'm not creating i'm crafting music i don't feel like i create anything um i feel like i craft from what is already created so um that's another thing mentally that i'm trying to correct my thinking that I'm, it's not from me but of me and um that's so something I more of a about. conduit a sense of a conduit 
100%. So in the Psalms, you know, David wrote, what, 73 of those things? And you have Solomon, you have Asap, you have all these writers of the Psalms. But if you look at the uh, before the Psalm, a lot of times it'll say of David or of Asaph, of Moses, of Solomon. Um, that word of changed my life as a songwriter and a, and a publishing company owner. I've sold most of all that stuff. But um, that of and not by. Like by Mark Heimerman is a, is a very different thing than if I say of Mark Heimerman. So by just sounds like it starts with me, but I, I've tried to train my thinking into thinking more of me and, and allowing myself, like you said, to be a conduit. I think that's beautiful. Well, you know, in your, uh, your website that, that you feel most, uh, I don't even want to say excited about, but the, uh, let me get the the URL here. The uh, music by Hode, the music <laughs> yeah. by HOD. Yeah, uh, it's got a long O inflection over the top of it. But correct, Hode. Yeah, uh, might as well com. make it very difficult for people to find it and me. So well, I thought what hey, I do well at. <laughs> it's not as difficult as Gautier. I mean, how do you spell that? You know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, I, I tell you, he's a genius, isn't he? He hasn't. You haven't heard anything out of him, but you know, somebody that I used to know. Yeah. Hundreds of tracks done by a guy down in his barn, you know, and, and right. you know, my kids uh, both took recording. And uh, when my youngest was starting, he's like, well, I've got to just bring some trumpet up vocals down. He does it. Then it's clipping. He goes like, yeah, what am I going to do? You know? So anyway, but back on the, the subject uh, that you bring up on, you know, music by um, that you talk about uh, in this past couple of years, few years, perhaps, that you've been in a, in a journey of, uh, some, some, I don't know if you strain or difficulties, what you say? Of lots of loss, lots of loss. And, yeah. um, and I don't know if you want to get into that, but the bigger oh, picture, yeah. I think, well, feel share with whatever you want to about that. Because I think the thing is, Mark, uh, when people stand outside and look at someone like you, who, as I shared with you before we started the recording, uh, you've honestly lived the life of at least four, men in mm -hmm. one you know time period uh which i greatly admire i think it's a strength uh you're an entrepreneurial spirit that's gifted that way um but if you could share with the the people who will see this video um you know about how number one you maintained your christian faith through all of it uh but oh, then yeah. also just that par portion of the, your journey that that you just coming through and in a sense, yeah. we all have because of the pandemic and the sure. stress. So go ahead if you can. Just Yeah, no, it was definitely one of my valleys of the shadow of death. Um, my goodness. Uh, if you start, you know, I don't, you know, career wise, um, I have always enjoyed championing artists and uh, I've never uh, looked for work. It's always shown up on my uh email or a phone call and word of mouth and i still am relying on that I, i'm still trying to be faithful to god for that um and there was a season where everything that i was working on was very successful very successful and um everything got cut off in like a moment's time and that was actually well, before and during COVID, and uh, I had I had invested a lot in some people and some artists here, um, 
and that's what I do. I care more about people than I do the music or the money. And uh, anyway, that that came to a very sad end, which made me feel discarded, I guess, to be honest. Um, so struggled with that, you know, because when you do pour yourself into any relationship and then there's like, you know, it's not necessarily rejection. It's just like moving on kind of thing. Um, and how easy that is for some people. <laughs> and it's not for me. It's because uh, the relationships are are very important to me. But transfer that into the relationship with my wife. And after we're married 37 years this year, I think. And um, after 32 years, we had come to some really weird, bizarre impasses in our marriage. And um, this is all a part of the Hode music. <laughs> um, but uh, she uh she deals with uh childhood ptsd and we didn't know that that was really what was fueling a lot of our issues as a, a married couple and we'd get to these places where i would probably both throw our hands up we're like what what is not working this is so good there's so much good and there's and nobody's going nuts nobody's having an affair there's nothing that you could put your finger on that would be so dire and she would get triggered into these places where she, and she doesn't mind me sharing it. She wants people to know, but uh, from stuff from her childhood, she dissociated from uh, emotionally. So I married a woman that, um, actually I married a woman and then a dissociated child. Um, and I didn't know, and she didn't even know. She couldn't say, well, this is what, you know, blah, blah, blah. And we won't go into all the details of that, but it caused so much, um, strife in our marriage and it was, seemed like it was cyclical while well, this last time in uh that was five years ago i guess four or five years ago she wanted to end it end the marriage and it was just like what did i do you know you're going through all the same stuff and um but god it was definitely time i uh, i definitely felt god say uh, no more you're not gonna have to deal with this anymore and he uh healed my wife and he healed our marriage amen and um uh so i wrote a song about that healing and share the story and the testimony of that um uh healing and it's i don't know if you can have a perfect marriage but it feels really really good right now and it has for a few years and it's like it all went away it's bizarre it's like literally the scales came off she's i've watched her walk in healing complete healing our marriage like we don't i don't trigger her and if i do she's like oh you know what that that's an old feeling i know what that is i know where that normally takes me down you know so we, we're able to communicate and talk through that a lot of counseling and all that but man we're we're loving our marriage um i have a son that's uh we almost lost to mental illness um during that time uh, I lost some uh, career stuff that was um, very devastating for me, very sad, heartbreaking. Um, and then COVID, right? And I'm like, oh, man, Lord, this this isn't letting up. And uh, I remember I uh, was separated from my wife for a year, which was the mm -hmm. grossest, most horrible, going to bed every night, laying there, just begging, look, God, you know, don't, please. And I'll do anything. Just don't do this. And um, after a year, 
is when we were able to patch it up. But that was a dark year. So very lonely, heartbreaking year for me and her. It's hard for our whole family. So I'm writing these songs. I get this piano from a friend that says, can you housekeep this piano? Because uh, I can't, I don't have room for it. I'm like, yeah. So I have a grand piano in one of my rooms and I'll go up there and, oh man, the music just, I couldn't wait to get to the piano and it happens so fast because there's so much built up in me um because kenny i the four chord christian music is like acid to my spirit i hate to say it but it's soul sucking it does nothing for me music is my personal first language i'm not talking about anybody else but music has to speak to me even before the english language the lyrics I'm just that way. I know people don't even need music. They just need a bed, but I hear it all. It's like everything's an, uh, orchestrated in my head and I'm hearing other parts and harmonies. I can't help it. It's the way God made me. And so music is, uh, it speaks to me first. And when the music gets watered down to um, four, three or four chords and it's the same ones, it's like, can we just throw a couple of other chords in there? You know, can we go minor for a long time? You know, um, anyway, I had all this music in me and I wasn't championing anybody, but my own heart and singing to the Lord and just expressing myself. So this first bunch of songs, um, on the Hode, uh, music by Hode, whatever it is, it's just out there. It's, um, it's, uh, it's just my heart. And it's just, again, the beginning of me with a piano and just singing and uh crafting the lyrics over time so but the first part of that kenny is over and i've moved from i'm doing the same thing with the pianos and my voice um, creating all the music and the instruments um but it's now moved to thank you lord i got to vent <laughs> a lot of uh feelings of not feeling feeling viable in your kingdom or viable on earth or just feeling worthless to um losing my mom and burying her and going through crazy stuff all all in that two or three years and um i got all that out and um that's behind me now amen and uh now i am just in a place where he has me sequestered and the music i'm making now is all about the only thing that matters to me is to tell the world that his kingdom exists um it's a choice away and he's coming and it's it's not and everything's not going to be easy in fact we're going to get to a time where it's going to get really 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 hard and um you just feel that stuff coming in waves like a like it says like the like a pregnant woman you know the birth pains and i feel like they're coming more and more rapidly and you know i don't know it's not my job to figure it out but what i'm enjoying is uh i'm in isaiah right now and i've just written a song called song of the prostitute which is actually in scripture there is a song and it has six <laughs> six lines and i actually wrote music to it because i'm like i don't have any gloves on man i don't i'm not stuck to have to uh make songs for even the church i'm just making it for jesus and hopefully there's a message there for people to hear um i know i 
uh, need it. And uh, I'm learning how to find the joy and celebration of the angels singing while uh, Babylon the Great has fallen and it's all coming to an end, which if we're in the middle of experiencing that, that's going to be hard for us. But there's also a heart of celebration of that time coming. So you know, what, does there's that, this, what does that sound like? I don't know. Well, I tell you what, I'm so encouraged by that. I, I sense what you're sensing. I live in it. And as I face the truth, and sometimes it's hard. I told my wife because of what you shared publicly through your website, uh, through the Hode website, mm -hmm. that it, for younger people, my sons are 34 and 32. <laughs> I have the producer over here to help me keep straight. Oh, yeah. But when I talk about things, and I'm passionate, and I sense you kind of have a prophetic spirit, which leads to the lamenting, and I feel that way. Um, that I remember back when my wife and I first got married, and she reminded me, she said, don't you remember that when we were young, with all the things that were happening in the news at that time, we had this sense that, are we going to be able to get married, have kids, have a family before Christ comes again? And that longing that, God, we want you to come back, but we want to experience this life. And from that, seeking to communicate to my kids in such a way and to people that are younger, um, this sense of hope beyond hope, even in the midst of the turmoil, my podcast is advancing equilibrium. You know, it's what dot rocks, God, the world and other things. The byline is advancing equilibrium in the midst of an agitated world. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean a new age, you know, yin and yang, the force be with you, but the peace of mm -hmm. Christ, which transcends everything. Mm -hmm. But in the midst of it, something that God is beginning to show me having, and it really has come out of actually being with people as they passed from this life into the next, <clears throat> that the strong reality that, and when one of the devotions we read, uh, it's called Voices uh, from the Past. It's uh, Puritan Writers, Volumes 1 and 2, and I've done some podcasts. They gave me permission to do 20 uh, pages you know, of, of devotion. Nice. But something that comes out is that, that uh, for the Christian, that the, the smell of smoke never gets on our clothes. And so even in the midst of the tribulation, I firmly believe that if, uh, you know, it's God's choice, whether we're taken away, whether we're here, that's not the point that what I know and having seen people cross over that for, from our perspective, even if the saints who were burned at the stake, you know, they would speak out in the flame and say, you know, I see Jesus. Yeah. And so what's cool, uh, actually, former brother-in-law, his brother, we grew up together, a guy named Gary Roscott, I'll use his name. Gary came down with uh, glioblastoma, which is the worst form of brain cancer. I never heard of it until Gary had it. Hmm. And they were saying, there's no hope. And I said, no, there's always hope. And it's like his wife, Robin, no, Kenny, there's no hope. And, you know, Gary was in the middle of it. Uh, I did his funeral. He passed away at the age of 49. I'm 63. He was a year older, so he would have been 64. Mm. But the cool thing is that in the middle of his struggle, uh, glioblastoma normally grows, grows tumors very quickly, that he had massive brain tumors. And they said, you have to have these out. If you don't, you won't live two weeks. You have a 50% chance of dying on the table. And so Gary said, well, I want to try to live. So in the waiting room where they had him on the gurney waiting to take him in he began to pray and he just thought god this may be it i mean i may wake up in heaven and he mm -hmm. said he sensed someone standing there and he was by himself and he said he looked up and he said it was the lord and you know he began to cry telling me this this was on his deathbed but he said 
that Kenny, and you'd have to know this guy was quintessential business, very successful, very mm -hmm. serious. And yet he said, Kenny, and he started crying. He says, I could never imagine such peace. Oh. And he said that he said, he looked at me, didn't open his mouth, but he was speaking to me. I heard him speak. Mm -hmm. And he told me, Gary, you're going to be okay. You're going to make it through this. And so he said, he stood there with me. And when the people came in, they couldn't see him. And then they wheeled him out in Christ. When the drip put him out, he said, I woke up, here I am. So I talked to my key professor in all my theology, Dr. William Bell, who's now with the Lord. I said, Dr. Bell, what about that? Did Gary see the resurrected living Lord or was it a hallucination? You know, because Christ and the angel said, well, this same Jesus, you know, how you'll see him. And Dr. Bell, as conservative as they come, he said, well, I have no problem believing that he saw the resurrected Christ. Because if in those times of our, our great sorrow, if he can't manifest himself in physical form, then what good is our faith? So it really changed my mind. But through that and watching others pass, that I really believe if we are the generation that sees the coming of the Lord, that even if it's in the midst of difficult times, that his presence is so overwhelming that it's a different experience than what we're expecting. And like you said, that the grace to go through it. And I tell you, Steve Green, Steve Green used to sing a song called Embrace the Cross. Mm. And I think about that in Dietrich Bonhoeffer to where, I mean, Bonhoeffer's mentality, because, you know, the people told him, don't go to Germany. And he said, I can't sit back. He was here in the States, if I remember correctly. But he said, I can't let this happen to my people. And I did not realize until Eric Metaxas that Bonhoeffer was one of the key instigators of that bomb that blew up in that bunker to assassinate him. Whoa. And so they rounded him up and he was hung just a couple of weeks before the amnesty. Mm -hmm. But yet Bonhoeffer, you know, in the midst of it, it's like, you know, kind of like Martin Luther here, I stand, I can do no other. So that confidence and that strength, even in the midst of a very difficult time. So I'm excited. Uh, no one wants to see, you know, the Bible says not to pray for a day of the Lord, the day of the Lord, it will be a day of darkness, not of light. Right. And so any Christian that's like, well, I hope Jesus hurries up and it's like, no, we need to be saying, God, please give us another day. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not burdened for me. I know 100% guaranteed where I'm going. And, but I'm so burdened for the world. You know, I think that's, I carry that for some reason. I just, uh, that's where a lot of my lament comes from. I'm not, the only thing I'm lamenting in myself is, uh, you know, dying to my idols and um, my flesh. So that's where that uh, I might uh, get quiet or sad, you know, um, in repentance, I get quite kind of, uh, my wife says, you kind of go away. And I go, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm grieving. I'm grieving my flesh, <laughs> you know? And um, anyway, it's, uh, but I do, I grieve. I've been grieving for a while watching, um, I grieve over the sin that that is more prevalent every day and the depths of that sin that, that, you know, I know that it's cyclical. I know that the world has seen, um, the bottom of the barrel sin wise, but it's just, it's just all in your face. It's on your phones. It's, it's just being fed to us through, you know, the enemy's agendas and all that stuff. And it's like, I even want to look, I'm just burdened, you know, uh, um, that's well, one thing where I'm at right now. Well, praise the Lord. And it sounds like God has you in a place to, to be a voice of what's coming through you of Mark Heimerman. And I'm excited to hear that. 
I, I think it's, uh, I'm looking forward. I think it's going to be the, the, the start of something uh, that continues and that we need. And uh, I'm excited. Let me wrap up with just some brief questions. And yeah. if you're feeling good, what I'd like to do, because I tell you, everybody that's watching this, they want to know Jesus freak. I'm just telling you, you know that. Oh yeah. And uh, you, you told me before we started talking that it was okay to, to, to talk about that. But if you oh, feel good, if you feel good, feel uh, good. I'd like to come back for another. Well, fantastic. Honestly, I'm, I'm, I appreciate that. And that what I'd like to do is come back and us to have like a part two of this conversation to where we just talk all things Jesus freak, uh, everything from the gear you use, the recording studio, you, you know, just everything. And, I, yeah. and, and here's the way I look at it, Mark, is that not everybody's concerned about, you know, what's your favorite microphone for a solo artist. But through the conversation, these things about life that equips all of us to live a better life come through. And so that's that's why I like it. I love it, because though we may be talking about the construction of an album and the greatest album in Christian history, but through it is the human story. And I tell you, brother, I really appreciate what has come through our conversation today to where you're driven about the relationship. Mm -hmm. And I, I tell you, that means everything. But before we wrap up, I just got some random questions. They're they're totally not connected to anything. I love but, it. Yeah, but, let's uh, lighten this bad boy. Yeah, up. there you go. It's but, getting uh, a little heavy. Okay, there you go. <laughs> but uh, but honestly, as I shared with you, you need a uh, you need a Wikipedia page, and uh, somebody in that? your well, you know, you can do it yourself. You know, as a matter of fact, a guy that I know, he's very successful in Dallas in a community ministry. Uh, but he gave me his card and it's got his Wikipedia, you know, page. I won't use his name. He's very successful working in the the communities that are hurting. Uh, but when you read his wiki article, it's uh, clearly he wrote it. But to be wiki, it has to be documented. If you put stuff up and it's not, uh, you know, documented with stuff that can be, you know, exterior sources, then they flag it. They don't necessarily take it down, but they'll say this article needs more. So Wikipedia is an online uh, encyclopedia. The guy that founded it said, hey, it's not to be the definitive source. It's really to be the conversation that begins uh, revelation. So they don't say everything on there is accurate. But what's cool is that if you put something up inaccurate, somebody's going to come along because anyone can edit so they can come in. Right. But anyway, but it would be awesome oh, because boy, that's what I need is people editing. Well, no, no. <laughs> but the reason why I say that, because is if you just put in your name as you, you know, the producer musician, right. then you're on hundreds of people's pages, yeah. uh, but you don't have a page. But anyway, so some of this came actually as I'm kind of checking you out. Uh, but yeah. this, this first one has nothing to do with anything except for I see the Fender bass, which I didn't know uh, they made the, the, the bass, the Fender Rhodes. But mm -hmm. uh, have you ever used a Mellotron in your recordings or just personally? Oh, yeah. Yep. Oh, cool. So yep. real quickly, you remember certain albums or? Oh, man. Yeah. What would that have been on? Um. I just don't have a great memory, and there's so much. Oh, that's there. fine, but we'll, we'll check it. Um, what did I do? Did I play on, uh, was it Rich Mullins, maybe, or something like this? Do you know? Is this like a quiz? No, no, <laughs> <laughs> no but uh, I just you being a quintessential keyboard professional player, I thought, I'll bet you he's played on a Mellotron. Totally. You know, the, the Beatles totally. used it. You know, Strawberry Fields, they used it. Oh, yeah. I wondered as a kid, you know, I, I perceived Moody, uh, the Moody Blues, you know, hunting, hooking up with the London Philharmonic to do Nights yeah. in White Satin. Come to find out oh, yeah. that whole thing was Mellotron. But 
Right. Anyway, so you can cover that when we talk about Jesus Freak. Okay. How about this? Uh, what was the first uh, device system or whatever you want to call it you used when you started recording, producing uh, in the studio and also your your session playing or your 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 ad work um, would have been prior to that. So what's the yeah. earliest type of equipment? Were you already into digital or was the recording industry in digital at that time already? Or were you still no, on tape? No, no, no. This was way back, they see, 83. Um, we had a, a Trident 80B uh, up there at the Hummingbird Studio in the UA Tower. Uh, worked, gosh, how much stuff did I do on that? Um, the tape machine was a, uh, wasn't a Studer. I ended up going to Studer two-inch tape um, and then went from that to... Uh, ADAT, and then from that to uh, probably Pro Tools. I did some Sony digital tape, did some records on those Sony mm -hmm. uh, uh, digital machines. Um, but yeah, and there's a couple of other things in, in between there. But um, yeah, no, it was pretty much uh, analog tape and a Trident. The hard ADB way, <laughs> yeah. The fly, I call it flying fingers because there was no automation, but also worked on Neves and APIs and oh, yeah. um, SSLs, lots of that, a lot of mixing and recording on those um boards. That's awesome. So, uh, you obviously have an entrepreneurial spirit that's proved out by your life history. Uh, where do you have a sense of where that comes from? I mean, do you do you attribute that to any? Thing in your background or is it the lord or what do you how do you feel about define that? well define entrepreneurial well i'm saying to go from being a college student to singing you know what vocals was one of your first things but then to start singing in jingles but then to start producing jingles then to write jingles then to yeah. become prolific songwriter in your own right and then producing but then more than that it's a different part of the brain really for the person who's quintessential musician, which you are to then also launch successful businesses that have to make it in a dog eat dog world. Uh, right. But then even to migrate from that. So I think everything about your history says hmm. you have that, that entrepreneurial spirit that, you know, you, you start it and you yeah. launch it and you I'm see willing to do some of that stuff. But you know, early on I was mostly serving um, like I had good mentors so really the, the, um, uh, what probably looked like entrepreneurial was me just saying yes to mentors and who saw something in me and, um, said, well, you should do this. You should try this. And I was just game good sport. Let's give it a go. And, uh, uh, as far as like anything coming from my brain and initiating things, um, yeah, I think over the years that art part of my heart was developing and then I had a lot to share uh, from my art heart. And so that started coming out in um, a lot of DC talk was probably the, the projects that I got to express my artist heart. And, um, and then, uh, yeah. And then starting the label was not about being an entrepreneur, but just uh, a, a kingdom entrepreneur, maybe. There you go. <laughs> well, so, um, and you've kind of hit on this in different places, but it, well, and can you put yourself in a box to say that what you know about yourself is here's kind of the Mark Heimerman sound. Here's, here's the thing that, that, uh, 
you would say is like a metronome under all of the music that you've done that it kind of guides you artistically musically do you do you oh for sure just uh you know grew up in the 60s and my oldest brother was 12 years older so i was getting musical influence um a very early age of late 50s early 60s stuff then clearly the 70s um and then classically trained so there's a lot of classical elements to um my own writing um but i also loved uh well queen was probably the biggest influence as a kid um but also uh doobie brothers um stevie wonder earth wind of fire were huge there you go, there you go. Earth, Wind, and fire so anything that smells like soulful from me is going to be from those uh just studying those records as a kid um and the Beatles, all you know, a lot of the Beatles stuff. I dissected all that. You know, I grew up with a very mature um, listening palette. Like it was Steely Dan and Yes, you know, very more of the artsy eclectic stuff. Um, that's where I just was immersed in that. You know, as a little kid, so it's uh, hard to go to disney music that's very you know linear and not a lot of melody you know i love melody so you know there's been years where melody has been kind of frowned on <laughs> you know i just you just sing the mountain become this and the morning you know well we changed it now you know and i'm listening as a three-year-old i'm listening to beethoven and mozart you know i mean that's what's in me you know again it's not um there's no right or wrong about um people's preferences <laughs> i'm telling you you it's interesting all the groups you're naming those were my groups those are my albums you know yes uh, everything yes did john anderson and those yeah. cats and the, they were like were they rock were they fusion were they well, <laughs> they were more like a fusion rick wakeman musos uh, man man just serious musos and i, I what's encouraging that you're saying this because my sons are going to watch this but I brought them up listening to eclectic music of my music, but they right. love Stevie wonder. You know, they love earth, wind and fire uh, oh, yeah. and all these groups. And so um, that's, it's cool that you would say that. So before we cut it off here, just some names that, that stood out. Um, so you told me about the Greg Cochini, George Cochini. George uh, Cochini. But, yeah. But then, but then Dan Brock is a name that when your name was out there, you know, all the time, that Dan Brock was another name just real quick. So how does Dan Brock enter in? He was a, owner. he's a president of forefront records who actually came, you know, he's the one that uh, I think uh, introduced me and my brother-in-law to Toby. Okay. And uh, as Dan was really, uh, you know, it was forefront records. They were really wanting to do cutting edge stuff and really looking for the stuff that, you know, the next generation was going nuts over and they found DC talk up at Liberty and uh dan had um heard um oh my gosh he had heard some of the stuff we've been doing so so then also with that um so eddie DeGarmo and dana key they were part of uh forefront is that correct i know eddie was i think yeah i think dana was too Maybe early on I think yeah, early he, on i think he got out of there at some point yeah but that's cool i, I saw DeGarmo and key i saw dana key unplugged uh at a church and i was actually on staff at a church in outside of fort smith arkansas but when i heard dana was coming unplugged that was during the mtv you know craze i thought i've got to go see this guy you know 
And that night was a, a life-changing moment for me when Dana oh, shared a testimony. It was like, awesome. It was kind of like off of Twin Peaks when the log lady would show up on the stage. I don't know if you've seen the TV series, uh, mm-hmm. David Lynch's TV series, but transformational. And then I saw DeGarmo and Key in concert at the Fort Smith Municipal Hall and uh, was just amazing. But uh, anyway, well, he, Eddie, Eddie uh, pulled me in on uh, Stacy Arico when she was started her career. So he pulled me in on a, two or three songs for on her first record. One of those was really successful. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Eddie had moved uh, from forefront to, I think uh, EMI. Um, anyway, it was all, it was all connected some way. Okay. Real quick here. Chris Rodriguez. Amazing. So vocalist, guitar player. I think last time I saw him, he was with either Taylor Swift or no, no, no. Uh, Carrie Underwood. I think one of those two. He's but, all uh, over, all over. But uh uh, oh, actually, he's in a new band. It's called uh, something radio. Have you have you heard of that? Uh, Generation Radio. Generation no. Radio. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. They were just here. I do see them show up on my Facebook. So. They they actually performed here at this new venue in Columbia, which you know where Columbia is. Right. Uh, it's a defunct church that they sold and moved. Unfortunately, it didn't go out of business, but this guy with a vision bought it and it is amazing. And I haven't been in it to see a concert yet, but they actually performed there. So all these, you know, top cats in the music industry formed this group. And Joseph, my youngest son, 32 year old is huge fan of that group. Jason Schiff. I think his name is Jason Schiff. The guy that was lead singer for Chicago after Peter Sotero left. But anyway, oh, that's right. Yeah. He's in that. Yeah. But they're amazing. And so, uh, yeah, that's cool. Oh, so, God. so you worked a lot with Chris, didn't you? Oh yeah. So I met him. He showed up. Uh, for an audition for Michael W's first tour. That's the first he walked in and the rest was history. He he kind of had almost like a flock of seagulls hairdo. He totally know? did, man. That Puerto Rican hair, man. <laughs> that thing was natural. But I tell you what, that that tour, I mean, I, uh go back and watch it on uh, YouTube. You know, it was amazing. Crazy. And, but you also did Picture Perfect, yeah. uh that tour. Um uh I, I did the record and then I music directed the change your world. Um, yeah. Tour. Is that the one you're talking about? The real huge one with the horn? Yeah. 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 Or are you talking about big picture? The big, no, picture. it's just the one where you said, um, um, you don't have to be picture perfect. Okay. Yeah. That's change your world. My yeah. world. Yeah. That was fun. I don't want to get pegged from YouTube for doing that, but anyway, but, uh, well, that's cool. I want, this is a little thing, but, uh, a new thing, um, it shows Steve Taylor playing guitar. Now, is that the Steve Taylor who's had a solo career? And then also he does, uh, has done some videos, uh, like, uh, jazz, blue, like jazz. I think he maybe even helped produce the shack, but, uh, boy, I don't know. New thing. It, it, he yeah. just, it was listed as a guitar player, but Steve Taylor, it just stands out. I thought, right. There are two of them really. And well, that's what I'm wondering. I bet you maybe it wasn't the one that's well, I'm no, it would of. be the, it would be the one, um, Steve Taylor, you know, the squint guy and, uh, you know, he was a solo yeah. kind of punk, punk rock artist. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Yeah. Great producer. Yeah, absolutely. Well, cool. Entrepreneur, <laughs> a real one. Yeah. Well, no, you're a real one too, but anyway, well, listen, Hey, I think, uh, you appreciate it. we've gone over time, but, uh, I told my wife as just going through all of the notes, I said, I could talk 10 hours. But what's cool is that you shared with me that, uh, and I can't remember if it was on recording or off, but that you're talking to someone who wants to produce kind of like a, a special on your life. I mean, can you say a little bit about that? 
about that before we go? Yeah, I think or, it's going to, it'll probably come out when I, um, around when I, well, I don't know. It's just the Lord's providing these kind of opportunities. I had a, I've never done a podcast before and I did one yesterday and I'm doing one with you today. I've got another guy that interviewed me for two hours and um, is putting a beautiful video together. Um, and it's about, uh, the, the music that I'm doing and it's got some of the music, um, that is finished on there. Um, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do with it all. I need help, but, uh, I just see God just pulling these pieces together very quickly. And then the foundation, I think something is going to happen with that. I would love for that. I'd love for that to, uh, uh, not go to waste after all these years. So I'm hoping that the Lord will uh, bring that to fruition. Now, let me ask you in closing, um, on, on Hode, you have the song, My Baby Girl. Yeah. And the picture on the website, is that your daughter when she was a kid? Oh, yes. So that was the, the little one. And then if you scroll down, you'll see the pictures of me getting a first look at her at the wedding, which was just heart beautiful. Well, <laughs> anyway. she's she's a beautiful kid. Wow. Oh, I mean, just what gosh. a beautiful little girl. But could yeah. you, could you uh, do a, a part of that? Are you at a piano there where you're talking from or? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm not that guy. So here's the deal. People, okay. think, people think I just know all these songs, but no. you're talking, <laughs> as soon as I'm done, I've already moved on to the next one. So I live stream writing and now it's always worked for me. Like if somebody wants me to play something like I'm going to need about 30 minutes to go yeah. re relearn it. So, well, sorry. you know, Hey, you're in good, you're in good company because Sia, who is a prolific songwriter, uh, Sia said that she stands at the, uh, it's an upright piano. She puts I don't some form of recorder and she has a guy that plays piano and he just follows her and she literally opens her mouth mm. and sings in the moment, records yep. it. She puts it away and then she sends it to, you know, be Beyonce or to, uh, uh, see it when I see her, what's the other girl's name? Um, and she sends it to him. Do you want this? And one of her songs, chandelier, or whatever was sent to one of them. And they said, Nope, don't want it. And then what's her name? Um, uh, solo artist anyway but she you know had a, like a million selling hit with it nice but, uh, so you're in good company and uh, yeah my phone's full of those ideas but there you the, go. yeah i do immediately move on to the next thing so when people ask me to um play live or i can do it or like lead worship i'm like oh man i just don't have this library in my head i have to literally start from scratch learn all the songs chart them out you know it's it's a lot of work so i you know, avoid it we saw, I got to see Billy Joel. Uh, somebody gave me tickets. Uh, the guy that gave me tickets, he was anyway, long story, but there were great tickets, but I was seated right above him. So I could see down. It was at the American Airlines center. Um, and so I could see his keyboard right on top of him. Uh, I thought there were bad seats to start with, but then Joel, uh, Kinda has a cool. digital, has a digital monitor built into it. He plays on a grand. It's a real piano, but you know, he has a scrolling, then I saw him speak to that. He received some major honor in speaking in front of these, these kids that are just the quintessential musicians. And I was encouraged because he had two thick binders of all the songs he wrote and they'd say, Hey, could you play a little bit from this? And he hang on and he'd get it, open it up. So that that's awesome. But, uh, we'll definitely, uh, have links to all the ways that people can connect with you on our show notes for this, uh, for this episode. Thank but, you. Uh, Anyway, Mark Heimerman, it's been such a wonder to have you. I deeply appreciate you, you being with us. I look forward to talking to you 
the go around again about Jesus freak, but uh, any parting words you'd like to share with our audience? Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, this is a time, um, that we should get, uh, the oil in our lamps ready. It, it, we just need to get ourselves ready. You know what I tell people like Jesus is coming as a believer. Yeah, I believe that we all do, but what people forget to, to think about is that he's always, he comes in your lifetime. So it doesn't matter if he's coming in a million years or tomorrow, he comes in your lifetime. You have 75, whatever the average lifespan is, you, that's how long you have to make the choice of a lifetime, a forever lifetime. And it's an easy choice. Um, but for some reason, it's <laughs> it's one of the most difficult for, for a lot of people. So, but yeah, that's what I, that's my message for this year is uh, prepare ourselves. What does that look like? Go after, go after making yourself a better person, um, heart, soul, mind, and strength. And uh, boy, seek the Lord because uh, we're going to need, really need to be hanging on to him during this, uh, here in the future. Amen. With that, we bid you peace. You too, brother. <laughs>